the Royal Australian Air Force in person, 1921 to 2021. Ad Astra Aviator. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. The narrator is Gareth McRae, OAM. Well, today's podcast is with leading aircraftman Michael Crapella. Michael has been serving at two operational conversion unit, Williamtown, as an aircraft technician. Michael joined the RAAF in April 2016 as an aircraft technician and after training was posted in July 17 to two operational conversion unit where he is still today. He's been trained on the F-18 and the F-35, participated in four pilot operational conversion courses and one fighter combat instructor course, which was partly carried out in both Townsville and Darwin, giving him the opportunity to travel around Australia. In 2019, he was able to go to Mildura for two operational conversion units anniversary and engage with the locals, as well as military veterans and families. He has been with the ADF Sport and participated in clay target shooting at both a local ADF level in 2017, 18 and 19, uh, not 2020, which unfortunately was affected by COVID, and also at a national level. He qualified to shoot in the ADF national team at the Australian National Shoot, and in the future, he wants to gain an engineering degree and in turn be commissioned. He would like a career in the RAAF as an engineer. Michael, how are you today? Good, thank you. Good to meet you. Good you to too. Here. Now, you joined in April 2016. What did you do before that? Before that, a bit of everything. I left school in 2012. I went to uni. I started my engineering degree. I got a little bit through that and decided not for me at the moment. <laughs> thought I'd, thought I'd, uh, thought I'd get into a trade because I've always wanted to be in the Air Force. I thought I'd get into a trade and work from there. You said you always wanted to be in the Air Force. When did that wish start? I couldn't tell you. All my life. Really? All my life, yeah. I don't I don't remember when the idea got into my head. So where did you go to school? Up in North Queensland, uh, Innisfail, Cook Council College in Innisfail, yeah. yeah. A lot of schools, I don't know whether they have them all over the, the country, but a lot of schools have both a, a army unit cadet unit and also an Air Force cadet unit. Was there ever one like that there's, at your school? There's an Air Force cadet unit in Innisfail at home, but honestly, honestly, there's people that didn't even know we had an Air Force where I'm from, so. Yeah, fair enough. So it, was, it wasn't a well-known thing, but I've always always liked aircraft, always, always liked the military, so. So you've always loved the aircraft. I mean, has ever been that part of your wish, I want to fly as well? I think it'd be it'd be an unreal experience, but I'm more technically minded. I like fixing things and pulling things apart. I prefer to do that. <laughs> I suppose you pulled clocks apart when you were a kid, did you? Everything. Yeah, everything. everything. If it worked, if it was electrical, yeah. Yeah, okay, and okay. Got pulled apart. Now, tell me about two operational conversion unit. What is that? Two OCU. Two OCU trains pilots. So the basis of it is train the pilot. Our motto this year is training the warfighter. So... Like I said, the essence of it is training junior pilots okay. to meet operational requirements. So what's your role then if you're not a pilot in that particular unit? Like you said, I'm an aircraft technician. I'm responsible for maintaining maintaining aircraft to a serviceable to a serviceable level. Okay. 
So uh, they're, so they're safe. So they're safe for flight. Let's explore that a little bit because of having done a series of these interviews now, a lot of the pilots talk about the value they place on the crew. So when a, a plane, an F-35, you work on the F-35s, when an F-35's been out at operations or been out doing whatever and it's coming in, do you get heads up before that plane actually touches down again as to what you need to do or have you got – what happens? Tell me what happens. What happens? So in flight, obviously the pilot have a lot of heads up. Pilots know what's going on with the aircraft. Mm-hmm. So like you said, yes, when they're coming back, we know what to expect. Obviously you're not going to tell 100% exactly what's – Mm. what's going to happen when the aircraft lands but we've got a good idea what what we're going to go out and see when the aircraft comes back okay when i take my car in for service these days they just plug a thing into the computer and the computer tells is this what happens when the plane lands you plug it into a computer yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> pretty much yeah pretty much that's everything because everything's electronic now everything's electronic there's no real mechanical way of figuring out what's wrong it's it makes our life so much easier by plugging it in essentially and saying this is what's wrong with me so being an engineer in the 21st century with planes it's no longer let's use the term grease monkey you're not playing with oil and messy stuff it's all the technology is really way ahead yeah absolutely absolutely they've the design of it is to make our lives as easy as possible Okay. Basically. So you plug it in. What sorts of things are you likely to find that may need attention on a on an F thirty five? What what oh, was the last thing you had to deal with with an F thirty five? The last thing I had to deal with. I so for the last month or so I've been on flight lines. So right. flight servicing's bringing taking the pilot out, getting the pilot ready to strap in, watching him start his engines up saying goodbye, waiting for him to come back. So flight servicing's oil servicing, oh, not anymore on F-35. It's a bit, it's a little bit more reliable than what the Hornet was <laughs> for that sort of stuff. Um, just ensuring that the jet after maintenance is ready to go. Okay. Tires, ba- basic stuff, tires, flight controls, hydraulics, oils, Okay. Things that move. So if it's if it's a computer thing, is that an area where you're involved as well or is there another person that looks after there's specific... A, there's a whole other trade that looks after the electronics side. They're the avionics technicians. Okay. So the difference between the aircraft and the avionics technicians is the avionics guys work on the electrical side and the ATEX, as you said it before, we're the grease monkeys. The grease monkeys. Yeah, okay. we're, we're aptly named Black Anders. Uh, well, I am not going to refer to grease monkeys again with a plane. <laughs> you, you've you've worked with you you trained on the F eighteen and also the F thirty five. Which of those two aircraft? Because I know the F eighteen is almost dis- going to disappear. Which do you find the easiest to work on, or which what makes one better than the other? Well, you can't knock back the first the first one you worked on. So everyone loves the F-18. Everyone that started out on the F-18. Why? It'd be a crime not to. Yeah, but why? Look at them. There's the one on the photo on the photo on the wall behind you. They're beautiful. But being beautiful and <laughs> as a technician working on it, what makes, apart from the fact that it was your first one, what makes it so nice to work on? There was a lot more system knowledge about the F-18. Everyone knew a lot more and, and it was... What I joined up for, it was 
like like I said, Blackhander. There was okay. a lot more okay. hands-on work with it and we knew more about it. Is it basically. less reliant on plugging into the computer than the F-35? My part of the job, there was really no plugging into the computer. Right. The only, the only thing on the Hornet that we plugged in was engine the, stuff. The engine stuff, yeah. right. Um, what did training on the F-18, because that was your first one, what did that involve? Training is a lot, it's a lot of on-the-job stuff. We have, we have a series of courses that, give us, that touch on deeper system knowledge. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you sit a three-month course, you're not going to remember that. So most of our training, so I did my trade training as well on the F-18. So it's a, tr- uh, sorry, uh, an apprenticeship. Uh, yeah, sure. My, your three-year apprenticeship. I did all that on the Hornet. While you were in the RAAF? While I was in the Air Force, yeah. Okay. yeah so that we, we're given that opportunity as well. Um, we start out with our courses. And from there, we learn on the job. Because mm. there's no better way to learn than I, I, by doing I it. I agree with that. I agree with that. For someone who may be listening right now who is still at school and thinking of a career, there's been a lot of emphasis in the 21st century of saying university is the way to go, university is the way to go. But having a trade is also the way to go. Sometimes you can make more money out of a trade than you can out of three or four university courses. What would you say to a a 17-year-old right now who's contemplating, what do I do? And they've got a mechanical bent. What would your advice be to them? I don't regret doing what I've done. I initially applied to go through ADFA as an engineer. My school results didn't reflect well enough on that. Sure. So I decided to go to uni myself. After realising it wasn't for me at the time, I decided to take up a trade and... I can't say I can't say a bad word about it. So you took up the trade while not in the RAF, correct? Yeah, uh, I took up the trade as part of joining the RAF. Okay, so yes. well, it, step me through that. You into the RAF in April of two thousand and sixteen. Take me back two months before April two thousand and sixteen, and what was happening? What did you do, and how did you get in? Right, the process starts normally six to twelve months prior. Okay, so you start with. It's called a U session. I don't remember what what the acronym stands for. No, that doesn't matter. It's uh, goes goes through a series of aptitude tests, Mm -hmm. and they they present you with a list of jobs that they that they through testing have said are suitable for you. Right. Say you say you open up a list of jobs that you like. You can go through and say, "All right, I want to do that," and then they'll take you through more testing say yep. it's another it's an officer t- officer job that you want to do there's a couple other levels of so i think it's psychology and more testing it's just a whole bunch of tests mm-hmm. uh from the initial ones you come back later when they can fit you in for uh more tests pretty much it's, it's just, a, so it's like a lot of testing Michael. It, it is it is a fair <laughs> bit of testing um and it seems to go a lot quicker than it feels. So those tests, correct me if I'm wrong, those tests are obviously determining on the part of the RAF what this candidate is going to be best suited for in the RAF. That's right. That's right, yeah. So, so they, they want to make sure that you're suitable for the role that you want to do. 
So did you actually choose the role or did they choose the role? I chose the role. You yeah. chose the role. Yeah. And obviously they found you suitable for that role. Yes. Okay, so they've now said to you, Michael, you pass, you're in. What happened then? I wait until I have a spot on a recruits course. And for me, that was a wait from November 2015 to April 2016. So in the meantime, because I'm from North Queensland, I picked bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Which sadly, not very many people are doing these days. No, it, that, it's a great job. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I can imagine. I genuinely enjoyed doing that. Um, so all of these tests, were they conducted close to where you were living in Queensland or did you have to travel to Brisbane? No, no. Uh, there's recruiting centres everywhere in Australia. I think the only time you're going to struggle finding one is if you're in the middle of Northern Territory. Okay. Now, there's a tip if you're listening to what Michael is saying. If you – you really should consider joining one of the services, Army, Navy or Air Force, and clearly the Air Force is the way to go because of the technology and a whole range of things – investigate that as an option because they will send you to uni, they will train you, you will come out a better person, they will look after you, they will give you accommodation. This is an organisation that looks after its people, the Air Force especially. Okay, you're in. It's April. You've Now you... When did you get the uniform? I got the uniform... When did I join? The 19th? On the 21st, I think we were kitted out for uniforms at the time they were transitioning from the green camo uniform to the blue camo uniform that we wear now I love it so we were given our green camo uniform until we were deemed uh, what's the word suitable to wear our blue uniform it was like a rite of passage almost (laughs) so I think in week 10 of recruit school week 8 of recruit school we were given our blue uniform but now you start with your blue uh so there's no rite of passage anymore. Not anymore no. because we're 100% blue uniform now. <laughs> yeah, okay, 100% blue now. Yeah. And I, I don't think anyone wears the old green camo anymore. Sure. Um, I I was expecting, I went there because where I'm from, small town, there's a, a lot of veterans up there, but no one really knew. They couldn't really give you a good example of what it's going to be like. I thought it was going to be full metal jacket. Screamed out all the time. Not not so. No, not not so. It's 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 a better environment now. It's not Tell me so how. stressful. Tell me how. They're more working they're more building military members, not scared people, essentially. Sure. Not people that are worried about getting yelled at by the rank. Well they're it's more of a trust-based sort of a thing now, really. So would, would, it be, would I be right in assuming then that the discipline is now more focused on you as in self-discipline? Absolutely. Fitting into the team Absolutely. rather than being an individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a big emph- emphasis, especially in the enlisted ranks, on followership. So that's yep. pretty much what recruit school is. And you lo- you'd go through weapon training, military skill training. A lot of a lot of it is your military skill training because obviously if you're not from a military family you know mm. nothing about the military like myself. What 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 does that involve? What what did you do in that sort of training? Hell of a lot of marching. <laughs> it was marching and marching and marching and marching and military history, uh, laws, laws and regulations through the military. What we face everyday life. That's pretty much the basis of it. And are you allowed just? Silly question, I suppose. You're allowed to wear the uniform outside of your daily activity with RAF? I mean, if you go shopping, can you leave your uniform on? Or is that not encouraged? At the moment, you can. 
There was a time when it wasn't encouraged, but that was before my time. Okay, yeah. okay. All right, you're in. It's April. You've got your blue uniform, not your other. You've <laughs> done the rite of passage. Now, I assume that the RAAF, one of the other great strengths of the RAAF is that you're able to travel all around Australia. Where have you been and why? Part of 2OCU is pilot conversion, like I was saying, we do two courses, your fighter combat instructor and your basic pilot course. Um, they historically have been conducted in Townsville and Darwin. Mm -hmm. So I've been to Townsville and Darwin mainly with work. <laughs> I've been to Tari for an Anzac Day and I've been to Mildura for the 75 year last year. What was your role on Anzac Day? We, we provided... We provided people to be there. We marched, Did, marched through the town and just mingled with everyone. And I heard a rumour that you were in a catafalque party somewhere. That was when I was in Wagga in training. Okay. Yeah. That, so was, that was an that, awesome That's where your marching and discipline comes into play because I've seen the catafalque people and they are precise to the second. It's awesome. On all sides of the cenotaph. It's awesome. It's yeah. unreal. And it's hard to stand there that long yeah. holding one position. And you move and all your blood rushes around you start going a bit funny. <laughs> you should be a pilot. Um, <sighs> tell me about Mildura because you engage with the locals. Uh, Mildura that... was, it was awesome. We met, sorry, I can't remember the fella's name. He was, he flew Catalinas. Really? I may be wrong. I, f I feel like it wasn't a Catalina, but he, um, I met his daughter and he, he sh shot down, or he shot down, he killed a U-boat of the same number designation of his aircraft and then flew back over and threw life rafts out for the fellas on board. Gosh. And the, the story of that bloke was awesome. And we met, met up with all the RSL, members of the RSL, the, the yeah. uh, secretary, president, vice president. They accommodated us throughout the whole, I think Fantastic. it was three days we were there. This sponship is... Australians in general oh. love people from the defence. Mm. It doesn't matter what service, but particularly the RAAF. It was, it was unreal. And sorry, I thought I'd better mention it. Uh, Mildura is where TOSU started. That's, that's why Mildura, ah, basically. That, well, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Have you formed a relationship with someone while you've been in the RAAF? Or are you still single? I'm still single at the moment. Are yeah, you yeah. looking, are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't help you there. Can't help you there. That's fine. Um, I, I want to talk about the sporting side of it for a moment. I mean, did you get involved in sport, I'm talking about shooting, with the ADF or was that something you were interested in outside of the ADF? That's something I started doing in 2014, so two years before I joined up. Um, I didn't even know we had a clay target shooting team until I, I saw someone walking around in this shirt that said, uh, Australian Defence Force Clay Target Association. And I thought, wow, I want to I get onto that. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> and the first one I went to was 2017. I've won a few things here and there. No, don't the be modest. You're a damn good shot, I've been told. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm all right. I don't want anyone to hear, hear me talk about that because I'll get, I'll get, um, I'll get messages. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we, <laughs> no, 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 we, it's all right. we won't scrub that bit at all. And then, t yeah, 2018, I did quite well. Like you were saying in, in the introduction, I made it into the, the Australian Defence Force team 
and I was given the opportunity to shoot at the Australian Nationals. Fantastic. Against, so I that team, is that made up of all, all services? services? All yeah, tri-service, yeah. So have you got to audition to get in? Or what's the process? There's a, the competition, the Defence Force competition that we do in Wagga every year. Yep. That goes for a week and it, it shoot you shoot your three disciplines of clay target shooting. You what are they? Trap, skeet and sporting. Okay. I could talk to you for two or three hours about all of it. No, well, just give us a brief description of what each of those means. So what you see at the Olympics is, well, mainly at the Olympics is skeet, but a a simpler version, Olympic skeet obviously has to be harder. So skeet is when a machine fires something up into the air and you bring it down. Okay, Pretty much. So they're shooting a clay target, small clay target. 40, 50 kilometers per hour. I think they're a little bit, a little bit quicker. And you got to shoot it out of the sky. Okay. Right. So well, I, I, I understand that one. And what about the other one? So, trap. There's one target coming out in front of you, in an arc, at a random, random spot. Skeet. You've got two towers, one behind you, one in front of you, and they shoot two. And then sporting is wherever they want to come from. Sporting, Skeet or trap. Yeah. So sporting is simulating. Me going out to hunt, okay, as closely as close as possible. Yeah. And which of those three do you find the easiest? I'm better at trap, but I find skeet easier and more enjoyable. And it's less you, stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've I've seen I've never actually seen it physically in in real life, but I've seen a lot of it on television. How do you? What's the? How do you develop that skill? I mean, is it innate? Is it something you train for? I don't know. It's you've got to you got to have a bit of hand-eye coordination, I suppose. But everyone's everyone can do it. And Anyone can do it. The rifle is a shotgun. Shotgun, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's an over and under shotgun, yeah. Break uh, action shotgun. Okay. Um, so I, I, yeah, it's 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 a good sport to get into. Did you do this before even the Air Force was part of your life? Yeah, like I said, two thousand fourteen. Two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, when, when I started, yeah. But you didn't start with the ADF then because no. you weren't in the ADF. No. So they had where you live, they had yeah. a clay shooting. Clubs everywhere. Clubs everywhere. I didn't realise that. Um, all right. You're an engineer. Now, you started at uni and then you didn't finish there and you went to the Air Force. You're wanting to go back? Is that true? Yeah, I, I want to progress through, my, through and finish it, finish my degree through either defence or through civil schooling and... But the, the RAAF will put you through, won't they? I'm starting the process. I'll be starting the process this year or next year, yeah. And that's so. another great strength. I keep on talking to this other person who may be young listening to you, that yes, the RAAF, the Army and the Navy, let's stay with the RAAF, they will look after you at university. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Defence Force will... Anything to progress your career, they'll help. As much as they can at the time, they'll help, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. You've got to consider this, listening. Even if maybe you might be in your late 20s and early 30s and think, oh, I'd like a career change. Well, think of the RAAF. Do you want to stay in the RAAF? Oh, yeah. I've got no real intention of getting out. It's what I've wanted to do my entire life, so. You want to stay? I've always, yeah. What, so picture yourself in five or six years. What would you like to be doing? Hopefully in five or six years I'll be an engineer. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, you know, hopefully you will be, will but now be, you're yeah. an engineer. What do you want to do in your career? Where do you want to go? Just want to stay working on F-35s? Uh, honestly, I haven't really thought out past five years, to be honest with you. 
I'd, I'd like to get into design or, or even uh, we had an armament engineer, the Armo, a couple of years ago. He got into flight test engineering. That sounds like an awesome job. He sits in the sits in the passenger seat or sits in the co-pilot seat or in the flight engineer seat and takes test test flights with them. Have you been up on a plane? I I managed to get a ride in the back seat of a Hornet. How was that? Unbelievable. That was one of my one of my probably favorite things I've ever done. Best best experience I've ever had. It doesn't tickle you. Gee. Maybe a, maybe a pilot might be the way to go. No. No? No? No. You're going to stay an engineer. I, love, I, I like what I want to do. Is there, a, is there a, a, a promotion passage through engineering in the RAAF? I mean, can you start off as a... Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like our enlisted ranks work, there's the officer rank structure. And it goes through on your merit, obviously. You can't be promoted if you... Not you don't seek promotion, you right. are promoted. You are promoted, yeah. But you need to you need to fill prerequisites. If you if you're not proactive, they're not gonna look at you at all. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um what has the RAAF enabled you to do that you wouldn't have been able to do if you were not in the RAAF, do you think? I probably wouldn't be down south. I've like like I said before, I'm from North Queensland. I wouldn't be down here. Or I wouldn't have gone to Darwin. Wouldn't have gone to Mildura. I would never have even thought to visit Mildura and found out that was an awesome sure, place. Sure. There may be an opportunity next year for me to go to America to pick up F thirty more more aircraft, pretty much. What check them on. out before they yeah, are yeah. delivered? Yeah, so we go over, we provide manpower to have the jets flown back to Australia. Sure. What about Butterworth? Is that something that could you could end up being at one day? I'm not sure. I'd, I'd like to go there as an ex, just as an experience. Yeah, I know. Even though it, it is now past, whilst we are doing this interview, you're actually involved in organising some sort of charity. You've grown a beard for the charity. Tell us about that. Oh, so you actually see his face. You will see his face eventually. <laughs> so at the moment, too, so you are promoting growing beards for charity for. Black Dog Institute. Yes, they they focus mainly on depression and suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And well, basically, we've been given the choice: you can grow a beard and donate to the charity, or keep shaving. Okay, and the sane thing to do <laughs> yeah. is obviously grow a beard. <laughs> yeah. But haven't you also got to organise a barbecue for quite a few people? Yeah. So tomorrow is uh, essential. Well, pretty much our last day. So. We've got 50-odd people posting out, a few discharges and a whole unit of hungry people that I need to feed. So I've got 50-odd 50 <laughs> 50 kilos of meat going through a smoker and barbecue tomorrow. Yeah, Don't give that tonight. sort of job to a pilot, give it to an engineer. Yeah, well, choice is old XO, uh, old um, executive officer, yeah. uh, squadron leader Phil Eldridge. I just, he was just outside. He normally comes in and helps me every now and then. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Michael, you've obviously only, this to the beginning, I mean, 2016 is not that long ago, you're at the beginning of your career. You've certainly got a wonderful enthusiasm and a wonderful attitude towards the RAAF. Um, I think you're going to be a great engineer. Keep working on going back to uni to finish that engineering course, because that'll be a great benefit to you. Absolutely. The RAAF, 
has served you well, and you are serving the RAAF well. So thank you very much for your time. No worries. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's been great. Globally, the RAAF has between 500 and 700 people on operations every day, contributing to coalition operations, peacekeeping, and humanitarian and disaster relief. The RAAF takes pride in its service. It has a history of endeavour and sacrifice, which has won it a place in the hearts of all Australians and a position of respect among the armed services of all Australia's allies. The RAAF will never tarnish its record. It carries on in the proud tradition of Per Adua Ad Astra. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. Produced by Air Force Association New South Wales, which is a registered charity that focuses on the well-being of Air Force veterans and their families. If you would like to donate funds to help us with this important work, you can search Air Force Association New South Wales in Google and go to our website.